0: We're recording. Okay, so hey, it's all right, then. Yeah. Hey, this is Derek McCaw, editor. No, 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 preamble. no preamble. You want a preamble? Bad bad Nobody knows a preamble. Look, we're standing in Statuary, and I just don't want a truck to go by. We're
3: literally on the streets of San Jose.
0: It is. This is Derek McCaw, editor in chief of FanboyPlanet.com. And we are podcasting from CineQuest. This is a soiree at the M Asian Fusion Lounge. Uh, So we just wanted to uh, have a bit of a special episode this week. But first, of course, recording this. I hope I got to take this word for everything. To my left with a glass of wine. He probably needs another one shortly afterwards. We're definitely recording. This is Rick Brett Snyder. There we go. So that one's for Sal Pizarro. That means three (laughs) episodes in a row in which we directly reference one of us drinking. So, uh, we've got a little bit of comics news, a little bit of movie news, a little bit of TV news, because the big focus here, is, of course, it is CineQuest, which means that what we really want to talk about are the movies at CineQuest. And, and the people we want to talk to. And, and the, that, because we're always time-traveling, we've already talked to them. Even, it's true. Though, Even though it's though about to happen for the have listeners. Yes. That'll be the next episode. Yes. So, anyway... Uh, here we go. Of course, you can find us on your favorite podcatcher, iTunes or whatever they're calling it now, Apple Podcast. And uh, you can also, uh, if there's something we talk about, because we are going to talk a little bit of comics. If there's something we talk about that you think you would like to uh, have for your very own, you can, of course, if you can't find it at your local brick-and-mortar store, you can use the handy-dandy Amazon link, including, which I just put up at a listener's request, a link to my upcoming book, I Was Flesh Gordon. Nice. Uh, so there is a nice. direct link to You actually buy.
3: had a listener say, I want to buy the book. Uh, and somebody
0: text me, what's the title? And so I said, okay. I mean, it's not Yay. out yet. It's coming out in a couple of months, but... Is it on Amazon? Can you pre-order it? You can pre-order it on Amazon. So I put the link on the sidebar. Hardback? Directly. Paperback? Uh, it is, I believe it is hardback. Wow. So, e-book? I believe there is one, but right now, there's not a link for that. you I'm big on the e-book, so... No, but I know that there is an ebook they because they told us that they, they get a lot of uh, they do get a lot of sales on eBooks. Anyway, cool. you can find that as well. You can of course uh, do something with Think Geek. We are an affiliate of Think Geek. And what else do we do? Oh, and if you'd like to help defray the cost. Maybe buy us a sound screen so the traffic won't be so loud. You can just donate money through PayPal. Drop a Bitcoin in the bucket. No, that's about to be devalued horribly. Uh, Anyway, to editor at fanboyplanet.com. And, of course, if you have any questions, comments, compliments, commentary, criticism, just, you know, we'd love the compliments, especially with the interviews coming up. I think we've got some really cool stuff tonight. Please write into editor at fanboyplanet.com. So, before we get to the interviews, I'll do the comics news, which is the big thing is, remember a day when South by Southwest was just about movies or like about music, and now it's all about comics? Brian Michael Bendis is going to be making his big I guess it's not his debut. Emerald City Comic Con was when Brian Michael Bendis made his DC Comics debut. A lot of announcements came out. Right. But the DC did con- uh, confirm with South by Southwest coming up that they'll have more details about a thing called Black Label, ooh, and Black Label will be kind of their new sort of Elseworlds, out of continuity deluxe format series and miniseries. With they're not in continuity, so they've announced six books so far. Okay, so I just thought we'd want I'm to intrigued. mention him. Superman Year One by Frank Miller. And John Romita Jr. Didn't they already do so? Not Superman to be confused, <laughs> not to be confused with the Superman secret identity that just came out a few years okay, ago. Okay, okay. And not to be confused with Superman American Alien, the one that Max Landis wrote right. that was not in conduit right. And not to be confused with the Brian Michael Bendis penned Man of Steel that's about to happen. No, this right. is Frank Miller's vision of Superman Year One. Okay, with John Romita Jr. Doing the art. Nice, <clears throat> nice. Batman Damned by Brian Azzarello and Lee Bermejo, an alternate out-of-continuity team-up between Batman and Constantine as they try to solve oh, that's the who part. murdered
3: the Joker. Who murdered the Joker? Yes. So I'm betting the Joker murdered the Joker. Well,
0: I don't know that. That would be too simple. Why bring in Constantine no, it's if that complex. was the answer? How,
3: how did the Joker murder himself? You know. All right. Uh, Wonder Killing Woman. joke.
0: Wonder Woman, no artist attached to it, but Wonder Woman, Diana's Daughter, by Greg Rucka, who had just done that great, great sure. run, yeah. uh, along with Liam Sharp, for Wonder Woman Rebirth. Diana's Daughter. Diana's Daughter, so it's like the legacy of...
3: Uh, this is not uh, Donna Troy? No, okay. she's not
0: Diana's Daughter, well, is she? What if they maybe she Rebirth? would be. Yeah, no, so, if this if is a... out of continuity, this is out okay. of continuity, who knows? So then, who knows? There are two, there are two Wonder Woman books coming into the Black Label. Wow. Wonder Woman Historia, The Amazons, by Kelly Sue DeConnick, doing, I believe, her first DC work. Art by Phil Jimenez, who did a Wonder Woman run years ago. And Romulo Fajardo Jr. And this is telling the history of the Amazons from the beginning to the moment that Steve Trevor washed
3: ashore on Paradise Island. So okay. a three-issue okay. three We, should, we should explain the street sounds, which has just got really intense. It's we're, a bus. We're at the corner of Second and San Fernando in downtown San Jose at M Fusion Restaurant. We did say that we're at M Fusion, right? So it's so. just, it's just, we're. I think we're in the middle of uh, commute.
0: Well, it is six o'clock. Yeah. Uh, so, oh, I named the time. Oh well. Anyway, uh, then the other was a book we have talked about, the other history of the DC Universe by John Ridley. So I'm kind of disappointed to find out. That it's not going to be in main continuity because I thought that would be really bold. It's called the Other History. The Other History because there have been books, the history of the DC Universe. Sure. I believe Mark Wolfman wrote that. John Ridley is dealing with characters like Estrania, uh, Supergirl, John Stewart. What is it like to be in the marginalized? Uh, Interesting. As or so. But we did. We did. It was announced a few oh, yeah. uh, a few weeks ago. Um, so again, I'm really excited for this book, but also kind of. Like, I wanted it to be part right. of continuity. But it's Tinder Hyper Hypertime. It's tenter hooks, not Tinder hooks. Totally different. Tenter? Tenter hooks, yes. Yeah.
3: Yes. You didn't know that. I did not know oh, that. Wow. Where's What's Chris Garcia? So What's a tenter? No, it's not a tenter. It's a tenter hook. What's a tenter hook? Where you hook your tent, if you're a tenter. Okay. All yeah. right.
0: I'll well, prove it to you after the podcast. All right, thanks. Let's get through this. And the last one that has been announced is. The Return of Scott Snyder and Greg Capullo to Batman with Batman Last Night. I thought the
3: book was going to be
0: called The Return of Scott Snyder. Uh, that would be great, but it's uh, it's kind of almost a post-apocalyptic Batman wakes up in the desert and oh. so a whole new world for him to deal with. So we shall see. That sound is light rail. <laughs> yes. Which is actually a pretty cool uh, commuter system and mass transit, more people should take it. It now has Wi-Fi. Yes. I I saw that yesterday uh, as I was walking downtown. So in movie news, Netflix is doubling down. We knew a few months ago that they bought Mark Miller's Miller World. Yes. They just bought the rights to Rob Liefeld's Extreme Universe
3: for film.
0: They're not calling it for TV, so that's why I put it as movies for film. So for movies for theatrical release. Youngblood. Have you ever seen the Youngblood animated pilot? I have. The six. It's like six or seven minutes. Yes, I have. That has no plot. It just shows who everybody no, is.
3: It's exactly the same as Youngblood books.
0: There's more to it, though. I think uh, it could. It. I think with the right screenwriter, something interesting could be done. They're visually exciting characters. They are. They are. I mean, that was the... That was the whole reason. Yeah. Right? Okay. So, I don't have more commentary on that other than it's happening. Uh,
3: Netflix really wants to be in the superhero movie business. And Netflix this week dropped uh, the second season of uh, Jessica Jessica Jones. Jones. Someday I'll get around to
0: watching that. Uh, So, I guess I've still got to finish the tick on Amazon. Uh Uh-huh. So, but I'm here at CineQuest. My... When I'm not working... I'm CineQuesting. I'm... Yes, you are. ...impacting. You're Questing. I'm impacting. Uh, You'd never believe I'm the sober one. Uh, So, the way I'm talking, I'm just trying to be loud. So, you transition to TV news, which is neither thing. Well, no, because this is a Netflix thing. It is Netflix. Netflix also dropped for April, the trailer for Lost in Space, the revival of the Irwin Allen TV show, which I know is one of your favorite
3: shows. The show premiered on my birthday... When I remember watching it after my birthday cake, we watched Lost in Space back in the black and white days when it was actually scary and serious and there weren't like carrot men and yeah. stuff. Um, that would be the Great Vegetable Rebellion. Yes, indeed. <laughs> Played
0: by the same actor who was Sierra No Jones. Yes. On Star Trek and the episode
3: that killed Lost in Space. But anyway, great. No, I. I, I you watched it. I watched. I choked up during the trailer. I'm like, this is. I'd forgotten how much it means to me to have a story that's built around an actual family. And they say so many things about, you know, Robinsons don't do this and Robinsons, you know, it's like, yes, I love this. This is, it's
0: fascinating to me because years ago I just, I was in uh, Prometheus Entertainment's offices, uh, that being... At least at one point, the production company owned the rights to all of Irwin Allen's rights up. It was just a nice... I'm waiting for the light rail to get by. (laughs) It was just a nice conversation with Kevin Burns, and I think Kevin's still involved in this, and I know how many times he's tried to bring it back, Uh, and not particularly satisfied, but I actually have a Jonathan Harris 12-inch Dr. Smith action figure that Kevin gave to me, because he, he said, thank you for this conversation. And so I'm excited from that perspective, but it looks very different, and yet a different one that I will prefer over the film that happened. I mean, I love the film, too.
3: I love the show all the way through to the end. The production value on this thing looks insane. It's just so good. Um, the idea that they've made the robot character an alien that they encounter... That's interesting. ...is really cool. So it's like you, you can continue that in the TV show the robot originally was programmed to destroy the Jupiter 2 and then it was like was there's can we trust the robot thing this is going to be like well can we trust this alien robot thing and it seems more
0: coherently cohesively serialized yes that it's one get off this planet and it's been years maybe even decades since I've watched the original series but my memory is it was just sort of this random, it wasn't planet to planet, but all these other aliens would show up.
3: They did move, in the first season they moved planets a couple of times. And then towards the towards the end of the series, they, they kind of were stabilized on one planet. And they had their gardens going and everything.
0: So, yeah, so yeah. it's
3: interesting. It's uh,
0: diverse. It's, and Parker Posey is Dr. Smith. I'm not sold.
3: I love Parker Posey. But I know I that she's great. I just love Parker Posey. And
0: so I'm really I'm really intrigued. So I give this
3: credit for that. Yeah, looking forward to it. The, and that's this month, right? That's right. April. It's oh, it's April. A- Thanks, I think I saw it was April 13th. I think you're right. So right. Uh,
0: the next big thing of this week before we get to the interviews is that because one day it will be all Star Wars all the time, <laughs> Lucasfilm announced that they have hired Jon Favreau to write... I guess really say develop, write, and executive produce uh, a Star Wars live-action TV series. They waited till they finished Rebels, like two nights ago, three right, nights right ago, right. Right. and now it's like, and the story may continue, or we may go forty. Uh, who knows? Who knows? But what I would guess is this is for the Disney streaming service. But I don't know. It's that. a fairly safe bet. You know, if they hold on to ABC, and they wanted ABCs. Ratings to shoot through the roof, and I don't know that they do. But why not just go? But if they're
3: launching a streaming service and they want the no, streaming fair, service to have to a lot fair, of people subscribing. To
0: be fair, yes, you are quite right. But I think people will anyway. We've yeah. talked about some of the things they've already got lined up for that. And you, I don't know how many remember how many episodes. Oh, it was episode 500. We were just talking about their plans and right. what they've announced. But in that was that there was possibility of a Star Wars live action series. It's a John Favreau live-action series. This is the guy that made one of the movies that should not have worked, work, which was Jungle Book. That should not have worked. He's about to do the live-action... He's almost done with the live-action Lion King, which should probably not work, but will work because it's John Favreau. <laughs> you know, so... I, I, I will bet on... It. And yet, I know, I have a young cousin. He's a 11 who... When they went to see Black Panther and the trailer for Solo came on, he said, "Isn't this ever going to end?" <laughs> and his younger brother said, "No, it will last forever." <laughs> so, it's uh, so a shout out to you guys. You know who you are, Alec and Andrew.
3: Welcome. Now, welcome we're, to the podcast. There was a time where we were wondering if Star Wars was ever going to come back, and now, and now we're wondering. Now where, we're like, now we're going. Just, it's going to outlive us. It, well, I knew everything's going to outlive us.
0: Well, everything. Everything. So let's get to let's get to the uh, the fun stuff. This was fun, but let's get to the to the meat of this week's episode, okay. which is interviews. This is one of my favorite times of the year because, like, oh, I yeah. go to Comic Con and I love I love talking to creators there and getting interviews at Comic Con. But here at CineQuest, we get to hang out. I really get more friends. Oh, yeah. You know, the people become friends. Uh, I've already got someone to have a pint in a pub with. That's my alcohol reference in London when I'm going in May. Uh, but really have met people that it turns out, oh, we have mutual friends already. Why haven't we met before? This is great.
3: And, and frankly, we still have friends from prior... Center- center oh, absolutely,
0: so. absolutely. I- One, unfortunately, missed this week. She came back, she was just here for su- Sunday afternoon, and I went home and watched the Oscars, not realizing, putting it together, that Emily Berlet's Goss with the movie Snapshots, this is going to be your only day here, but we of course met her a few years ago with The House on Pine Street, which I love the Keeling Brothers and and Emily, we had great conversations years ago, so keep in touch, make sure, you know, what's going on with you guys, this is awesome, but let's get to who we met this week, let's, let's, first up, one of your favorite movies is CineQuest, I, I feel like I have to back away from saying favorite because... Somebody who shall remain nameless, except he was Mike Rabel, uh, criticized me. You're choosing favorites now, and I said, yes. I usually just say you're in my top ten, okay." And I've seen eight, uh, so no, I, I no, I, I went hands down with one of them, uh, with the short, with uh, Space, Girl. so oh, Space be, Girls. Space Girls is awesome. Let's be honest that it was awesome. Yeah, that should that should win an award. I'm I'm not going to hold back on it because that was so charming and beautiful. Uh, so. But the first one, we wouldn't call it charming and beautiful. No. No, but you did love this film. It was called Hunting Lands. A thriller, really cool, and I apologize because I realized as I was listening to this interview last night, I said, oh, I messaged Rick, and I don't know why he's here, and then I realized, well, I messaged you, but in my head, the implication was, come on by because people might come by. Ah. And so... But I think you were with Debbie, so there was no way on Saturday afternoon, I think. So it might not have been possible. Probably. Just not. say yes. It's probably yes. better to just go I'm with I'm agreeing it. with you. Yes. Uh, so, anyway, I, so I apologize because you did later meet all these guys. Oh, no, we had out last night. Cool. We got yeah. drunk
3: together. Right.
0: Oh, yeah. hey, Sal, that's for you. <laughs> so, Zach Wilcox, who is the writer director of Hunting Lands, uh, Corey Pike, who is a producer, and Corey's still around. I saw him in there, but Zach had to go back to LA today. Uh, and Marshall Cook, who was the lead in Hunting Lands, so I had a conversation with him in the back of the Continental. We talked a little bit about, a bit about comics, and then after I stopped recording, Zach and I talked a lot more about comics. Isn't that always the way? It's oh, like totally. You really want to leave the recorder going? Until... No, I don't because I don't want to bore the audience. Yeah. I want to talk about the movie, so we did. So let's go with Zach Wilcox, Corey Pike, and Marshall Cook, Hunting Lands. Are here <laughs> at the Continental at Cinequest with the director, producer no the, and I got a director, comma and the producer, comma, and the star of Hunting Lands, uh, which is Rick Bretschneider's favorite film of the festival, and I have no idea why unfortunately Rick is not here because I did message him earlier and say, oh, I think we're gonna do it. So anyway, uh, so identify yourselves for the for
4: the podcast listeners. Uh, Zach Wilcox, writer and director. And
0: Corey Pike, producer.
4: Marshall Cook. I play Frank Olsen
0: in the movie. Alright. So <laughs> let's
1: be like wearing that. Like it's, it's like it says producer? Like yeah. a big uh, <laughs> he needs a t shirt that says producer that just like so people can go to him. You no, know, no. I think now all after after,
0: uh, the you know Black Panther Mania, everybody should have their titles like in their list. It's just and just, it. just uh, you know uh, anyway. Um,
1: I don't know if you want to permanently. I I still frown. Upon, I'm I'm one of the few LA. Punk rock listeners who isn't covered in tattoos. No,
0: okay, well, but t-shirts are so much easier to change.
1: Yeah, you can you can yeah. wear a different shirt every day. It depends on what you want to be today. Put that shirt on, go for it. All right, so
0: <laughs> let's talk about describe the film and your inspiration for making it. That drama film
1: about the effects of society on people, and we have definitely an antagonist and a protagonist that are they're they're based around kind of the way that the elements of society have changed them. So, one of them being ex-military, it's like the idea of, I don't know, service has changed him, so it gave him a value system, but then also the structure that kind of held him back. Which is like, that's, that's what I was talking about. Like, most heroines have that idea of, like, you have a structure, and that structure dictates what you do. he gets away from society because he kind of fears what he's capable of, and then our other character is definitely far more selfish and allows himself to do whatever he wants to do, and anything that's necessary is a thing that he is capable of so that's kind of where it goes and it gets a little suspenseful here and there but mostly it's a slow burn drama and
4: I think it's a good time
0: would you agree you were slow burning
4: Uh, I burned so slow in that (laughs) in that movie Uh, yeah Uh, what what I I enjoyed about it was the conversations about um, just kind of everything that you won't really see in the movie because there's a Kind of a vagueness by design so it you know calls for a lot of conversations uh you know, between me and zach about you know why frank is the way he is and what motivates this and that and and um and it does you know it, it does inform my performance and maybe some of that can be seen on, on screen but it's not actually you know said in the movie you know like all, all, there's not a whole lot of exposition about like oh, well, you know, we've been friends for, you know, 15 years, and, you know, how long have I known you? And, you know, like, there's none of that, you know. So you just kind of have to create your own narrative a little bit. So it's a different movie to a lot of people, I think.
0: Well, yeah, in the um, in the review that we ran, because I, I, I'll i confess honor, at this listening, at this recording, I have not yet actually seen the film. But one of the things that Rick brought out was how visual is it, Almost dialogue almost ruined it for him.
1: Oh yeah,
0: you know. So that's that. That's interesting. I feel like
1: there's a lot of people that are going to kind of land there too, because and I mean, you're you're making a film where you're trying to broaden the horizons. Obviously, and by the way, I
0: do want to say, no, the film was not ruined. It was just that he he was <laughs> seeing a vision, a version of it where there was no dialogue If
1: I could have done it that way, and this is the thing, if like I I love the idea of going as as deep into the. I mean, we spend a lot of time, a lot of time where it's like you see everything from afar, and that meant a lot to me. And I did as much as I thought would be acceptable for a standard audience, even though I know that like you kind of betray the audience that's addicted to that. You know, like there's an audience that looks at that; they see the voyeurism of like someone watching someone act things out, and they're eventually going to interact. And you know that's going to happen. But for them, when that moment happens for some of them, it's it's got to be like it's got to be that moment where it crushes you. The second that the two of them are put together for a moment, you're like. You're filled with the, like, oh, I've I really enjoyed this part of the voyeuristic aspect of it where it's a person observing another person, you know? And yeah. it's, like, our main character, he's just an observer at that point, you know? He's gathering information, and, like, that's... It's an addictive process, like, for sure. People end up in that land of, like, they wish it could be more. And believe me, like, when there was a three-hour cut of the film, I could have let it run that long. It would have it been excruciating at a
0: certain point, you know? But... Like German expressionism or something. I, I know. Do.
1: And and if I get a chance there, I'll, I'll make some weird art house stuff that
4: people will definitely reject. <laughs> <some time. laughs> well, how about you? Uh,
0: Specifically, what are we? Doing? Well, the idea would you make weird art house? No. Uh, <laughs> would you or did you find any particular challenge in that uh, that approach of how much of it had to be physical and not? Oh, the, the first week
4: of shooting is I, I essentially me just doing manual labor.
0: Uh, we're <laughs> we we're under stuff? the flight path <laughs> of the San Jose airport. Don't worry, don't worry. It <laughs> just adds to the ambiance. Yeah, yeah good. Um, yeah, I mean, it was a
4: really physical shoot for sure. Uh, is that the question? Is it? Well, but yeah, <laughs> as an actor, yeah. you know,
0: actors love to, to I, I, I was a drama teacher so I understand yeah. you know actors love to you know imbue character with a dialogue and a voice and so forth and then, then you have a movie that is so dependent on the physicality yeah and could have been done, shot almost as a silent film this is a tur- to turn off audiences but it didn't you know uh, is did you find a particular challenge to that not just having to do physical labor
4: um no I I, t- I I feel like in life I turn a lot of people off by talking so I feel a lot more comfortable. Just doing... Oh, half <laughs> our audience just <laughs> deleted this podcast. Uh, <laughs> my God, it's true! I just, yeah. um, no, I I, I, uh, I, didn't really find it necessarily challenging. Um, I do feel like there is so much more... Uh, it, it, it creates a greater expectation for what happens when he does talk. Um, but... So for that, I mean... I did kind of trash my voice a little bit. I'd like, <laughs> I'd like smoke, you know, put cigarette smoke in my mouth and cough and scream into my jacket to really trash my throat um, a little bit uh, f- for that voice because I just don't trust this to you know meet your expe- expectations for, try, for the character. The first time you hear a man talk, yeah. You know, <laughs> supposed to no, sound like that it. is a lot
0: of pressure. Yeah, and the Mickey uh, Mouse voice just didn't. I know, I know. <laughs> Hey, what do you do? Okay. Anyway, <laughs> uh, how about you? Do you want to do art house that no one will see? <laughs>
5: uh, I'm a suit, and uh, <laughs> the three hour cut wasn't, I don't think, gonna fly. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you thought it was fantastic. He thought it was fantastic. <laughs> he called me immediately afterwards. He's like, I'm greenlighting this, and I'm like, I think that we should step back a notch. He was like, I don't know if that's what to go with. And I was like, I'm sure it is, Corey, um, uh, as producer. Of the film, you might have different ideas of how it should go, but I, I prefer no. That's not what happened.
5: Our, our executive producer Edwin Stevens, who's the, the most responsible uh, for this movie happening, um, wanted to do something that was bold and creative, but also wanted people to be able to watch it and,
1: and enjoy it that were outside of the artistic community. So that was some of the push and pull between Zach and, and Edwin that I thought was was constructive. I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't really know where you go when you have. When you have something that you're trying to be... And, I mean, the script was a lot longer. We cut it down a bunch because we knew what we wanted yeah. out of the film. And, like, we had things. And there's definitely, like, there's there's a version of the script that that dialogue doesn't start. Like, right now, it's you get about 18, 19 minutes in before anyone speaks a word. Um, there was a version where that went 30-some-odd minutes. There was a lot of stuff to do. And we shot a lot of that, obviously. Like, that stuff that just... You know, it's like to show time and place... And like that idea, but it's like you get that more with like a comic book. You get that where you can have time and place for as long as you want because that's interesting to watch in a comic. And it's like. Thank you for opening
0: the door to that the, question. That's your post. It's like it's like almost like we planned it. Uh, your poster is very much boldly. Uh, I'm not even sure which artist is calling to mind for me, but it felt like it was the cover of a
1: graphic novel. I mean, I have it like a deep love, not only graphic novels, but you think about it like even when I was really young Edward Gorey stuff you remember Edward Gorey? I do I saw Dracula oh, yeah and you got like s- scary stories and stuff like that and you had those yeah. and like I remember that as being something that resonated with me for a long time where it's like you have feet coming through the floor and things like that where it's like if you can express a single thought and it's easier to do with terror for sure loneliness is hard to sell I feel like our poster like when I saw it I was like it feels lonely it's great I love the feeling that that gives me and it became my favorite poster because of that and obviously it doesn't it's
0: probably not the best thing to sell the film. Probably not, but I, I don't know because I, I feel like when you look at movie posters, they're all selling the movies the same way, and what you did is different.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's that, a
0: different kind of poster. How do you
1: translate sorrow in a single frame? You know, like how do you do that? And it's like I feel like you put someone as small as was possible that, that in a song, with a
0: bunch of. Was that a song from Sound of Music? How do you translate, do you translate? <laughs> sorrow in a single frame? I wish. I wish I, it would. <laughs> so. Yeah. Uh,
1: but yeah, and I mean that that, but the graphic novel version of it, I mean you, you definitely I and mean, if you can tell a story like that, you know, if you can tell a story in just a compilation of frames. Yeah. You've you've already got that. I mean that's why we've latched onto it as a culture. We've gone in that direction where we're like, this is what's important. We want to see these thoughts translated into films, translated into... like people are writing songs about it. you know, like there's all sorts of things that you can go and and really absorb a culture that's based off of graphic novels and it's like so it's oddly enough to translate your film that's not based on a graphic novel that's not doesn't have anything to do it and when I see something that feels like a graphic novel I'm like I automatically
0: but would you do that would you translate it into a graphic novel like
1: I'd like to see someone try I don't think I'm the one to do it I don't think I have the patience for it
6: okay as
1: a filmmaker the problem is is that you want to see a result in front of you, video village, and then you want it daily, and then you want it, and then you want to see what the color correction is going to be, and you want to see everything else. And like, I'm not great at hand drawing. As a painter, I throw paint. I don't, I don't think about, it, you know. So it's like I, the patience would be the issue. Filmmaking is definitely it's there's a brutality to it yeah. that it's not as thoughtful as a graphic novel,
0: you know. Oh. I've read some that weren't that thoughtful either, but uh,
1: maybe not thoughtful in story, but definitely thoughtful in, in frame yeah. and in you yeah. know in scope for the entire project. Well, you guys are
0: definitely there's a lot of buzz about this film at Cinéquest. So what is I mean, we have screenings ahead, but our podcast is always a, a time travel exercise because it might not actually come out till okay. the end of Cinéquest. You know, so what is next for Hunting or for you guys? Well, hopefully,
1: everyone in the world sees it. <laughs> that's it.
0: That's all I got. Okay, good. I mean,
1: that's me. Wait a minute. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I mean, obviously, I like to do the strange exercise and stuff that people wouldn't want to watch. I'd love to really test those boundaries. Um, but, I don't know. I mean, I have a few scripts that I think are fantastic, and hopefully, we get to explore those and figure out exactly what it is. I mean, Marshall's not done acting, that's for sure. He's fantastic in the film, and, you know, he'll be fantastic in other films, I'm sure. Oh,
4: thanks, Zach. Uh, I think, you know, we're going to do the festival circuit with hunting lands and, and we'll see where that goes. Uh, we're just going to control what we can control. So we'll just be doing everything we can all the time to try and get our own projects going. And, you know, there's no... There's no like linear path to getting anything made or done, so we're just gonna yeah. keep doing everything we can. Okay. okay. Thank you again,
0: Zach Corey, Marshall. <laughs> Let's get to our next one. Excellent. An interesting well, film. I you know, you and I didn't really get to talk about this after here. we saw Freddy's so right. right. Tommy Battles thank you. the Silver Sea Dragon. I loved it. I thought Rock it was one of those I and I I admit it, I walked out and went No, I didn't walk out, that implies I walked out of the movie. No. After the when movie, you left. when I left, I was thinking, I really admire this film. This yes. this film is ambitious as all heck. It was a rock opera taking place inside a guy's head. And the more I thought about it, the more I loved it. Yes, But it took me a day. And luckily, and I wrote a review and said, no, everybody should see this. It's like one, two, and I love that. And another thing that I love about Cinequest is seeing films that people truly want to talk about and not in the way of, as much as we love seeing things like Black Panther,
3: a lot of hey, what, how how's it compare to the comic book? I loved it because it, it it stayed within the context that it set up and then every bit of dialogue was sung. Even though that some of no, it... there was some spoken. Though very little bit some prosecuted. of it had a um, almost like um, a rhythmic, st- rhythmic style that was repeated. Well, I'll tell you what I did. Went right home. And ordered the
0: CD oh. of Booty Blues, Long uh-huh. Distance Voyager, which had songs on it that remind that Tommy Battles the Silver Sea Dragon reminded me of. Wow! Because I realized I only had the LP. Okay. And then, you know what I don't have right now? Is a ca- turntable. So <laughs> I need, I needed a CD of it. And so you can uh, borrow my
3: turntable. If you no. Want.
0: Well, why? I've got a CD now. Okay. Uh, so anyway. Uh, there's that so Tommy Battles the Silver Sea Dragon I also got to sit down and talk with the writer composer director star Luke Shyrock and his producer and assistant director uh, Michael Michael Angelo Zerbos who it turns out they were friends in high school lost track completely and and, uh, Luke was making this film and Michael was brought on by somebody else to be AD. Wow. And they realized, wait, we used to hang out! It's (laughs) faded. So, anyway, Luke Shyrock and Michelangelo Zerbos. Here at Cinequest in the Continental Lounge with Filmmaker Luke Shirock and his producer well you're a filmmaker too I'm sorry producer Michael Angelo Zerbos so uh, with Tommy Battles the Silver Sea Dragon which I I had this panic this morning that I said Silver Sea Serpent like I that I was writing it everywhere wrong I went no I said dragon right but my brain convinced myself which I think is somewhat of the, of the point of your film our brain convinces ourselves of our brains of strange strange things so uh i will say up front to listeners this is a rock opera is am i fair to? because that's what i felt you know it said musical but i go no i split the difference it's a rock opera i like
7: that better
0: that you are um yeah you are the director writer composer and and lead actor in this film so you're nothing if not ambitious what, uh, what drove you to decide, you know what, my first feature film <laughs> is going to be about me in a rock opera. <laughs>
7: well, I'll stop you there. I don't know if I would say it's about me. It came from a personal place, but it's not strictly autobiographical. Just being involved so heavily, though, it, it ends up being somewhat of a personal saga. Yeah. Definitely. Um, I don't know what inspired that. I mean, there was, like, logistical factors (laughs) required that we, um, many people did multiple things. Michael, for example, was also my first AD in addition to being the producer. Um, All right. Yeah, yeah, we had, you know, our first, or second AC was also our data manager, stuff like that. I mean, there's some doubling up of roles and i indie stuff indie stuff you know and yeah I, I in particular you know i i came at this project from a musical um background i'm a composer before i'm right. a filmmaker and so i wrote the music first and so i you know that was my first role and then getting more into it it became clear that i actually did have quite a visual uh well a vision for the film i i actually did want to direct it so but initially I was talking to other directors and you know I it wasn't clear at the beginning that I was going to do all of those things Um, we even did put out a casting call for the lead male role and it just became clear pretty quickly we were casting in New York and um, the talent there when you do a call for a music theater piece it's you know it's a very specific yeah. demographic that comes in with a very specific training that is in the, the the Broadway tradition which is not what I'm trying to do. Right, you want um, something rougher. Yeah. Uh, like, more rock. Which Yeah, is- it's a more of a rock opera, more of a you know, like I said at the Q&A after the premiere, like if, if anything has been an influence it's not Broadway, it's more like Pink Floyd, The Wall or something like that you know.
0: Which once you said that, I have to say that's what really it kind of had to retroactively click for me because I was mm-hmm. trying to draw the parallels. And we yeah. the, of course, that, that film yeah. uh, w- and the album. But, yeah. you know, but And so that's where I was kind of wondering, like, Did you just bring a concept mm-hmm. album to life or did you intend it as a film originally? Because yeah. you come from a musician's yeah. background yeah. and then suddenly you put yourself into all this other creative stuff.
7: I think it was... Ne- well, it was never a concept album, but that was definitely... That's the like first point of reference. Were, were the concept albums and like kind of operatic rock and roll albums that I grew up listening to, and um, those were big influences for me as a as a writer. But I always knew that this was supposed to be a film. I wrote it with that in mind. Okay. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, and not. Trying to remember in Pink Floyd's The Wall, there's really no dialogue, right? It's all just their songs. There's just you know, there's just just the some, some
0: talking over the, you know, how can you finish your, eat your pudding if you don't finish right. your meat? There, there are things that get shouted out, and I felt that's okay. that's what you did as as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. So like, give me what would you say? Because one I that I called out in my review is, and I have no idea if it was actually one of your influences, but I, I definitely felt like the last non-poppy moody blues album uh, Long Distance Voyager there's a number in there that I felt the prosecutor was channeling but The Wall does it too okay. and so what would be say let's give three what would be the three albums if you want someone to get into your music and in Tommy Battles the Silver Sea Dragon oh, wow. what would be the three albums that, that you think formed your influences
7: actually it wouldn't be Pink Floyd I think Pink Floyd was an influence just in the form, right? Um, musically speaking, strictly about the music, it's really more stuff that came later because I, you know, I, I didn't grow up on Pink Floyd per se. It was kind of something I discovered later. Um, but when I was really coming of age as a as a, a listener and a musician, I was it was in, you know in the like late '90s, early 2000s, and I was listening to this like alternative indie rock like. This band Coheed and Cambria, which is kind of an operatic, like, heavy metal band, which they were very influenced by, you know, the big metal bands. um,
0: And and they do comics, listeners, I think Boom Studios does, or Image publishes their comics.
7: Yeah, they have a whole... So they have, like, I I was really influenced by their approach. So they did concept albums, but they also published, like, a graphic novel that goes along with the entire storyline of the, the album. And I I really liked their music, but more than that, I was just influenced by this massive universe that they created that went with the music, and I thought, like, man, if this could be, you know, in this Wagnerian way, like, if you could bring it all together, instead of just, like, asking the imagination to... You know, the graphic novel is one step further than the concept album, but I thought, why not just make the movie, you know? Why not just build the world and actually show the audience what the story is all about. So that was actually a big influence. There was another band called Cursive, which is more an indie alternative rock band from t- from uh, the Southwest somewhere, like Tacoma where's no. They're on that out al- they're on that label which is like with Connor Oberst and a bunch of these like indie okay. icons. Cursive was a big influence. They have an album called The Ugly Organ. Which is a concept album, and actually, it has a similar theme of self, kind of self inter- interrogation and, and um, introspection. And um, that was actually a big influence as well. They have a similar sound, I guess, to some of the courtroom music, where it's like rock and roll, indie rock and roll, but with strings and with some orchestral elements. I really love that sound. And then. You know, there's actually there's actually a big, like, uh, influence in the middle, the second act of the film on the more, like, romantic stuff. Yeah. There's a bigger influence coming from stuff like Supion Stevens or Feist or, like, these more pop, indie pop artists. Yeah, it, does
0: so- it softens up a bit. Yeah, the yeah.
7: softer stuff. I'm really, you know, I'm still a sentimental guy. Like, in the end of the day, I still really loved those early Supion Stevens albums and Feist and those kind of, like... Romantic, introspective, but kind of, like, still very thoughtful and intelligent lyrics. I like that stuff. So I thought, yeah, like, let's try to bring it all together and see what...
0: Was it therapeutic for you? I mean, I know you said it's not really autobiographical specifically, but you're definitely talking about a lot of therapy. You're talking, you're you're actualizing it in musical terms, so...
7: No, no, it absolutely was part of my process personally trying to understand my my place in the world. I was coming from a, a time in my life where I was doing a lot of work in um, domestic violence shelters. I had just come out of undergrad studying social work, and I was planning to go into social work as a social worker for domestic violence shelters, and I was in Portland, Oregon, working at a shelter, thinking like, "What do I really have to offer here? What, what can I contribute?" In this case, I really felt that maybe my what I my best tool at that stage seemed to be a certain degree of self criticism and analysis in terms of what are my what are my motivations for participating in this, or what do I really want to. Um, who gains from my engagement with feminist causes I wanted to really make sure that it was coming from a genuine place and not just a place of trying to feel you know
0: Yeah, yeah. it's an awkward question for me because I I spent some time watching thinking I wonder if audiences will because I I don't know when you shot this 2006 14 so it's been a few years it's been a while and and I wrote
7: it in 2011.
0: Okay, so in the years since, there's a lot of you know, oh, it's mansplaining, and then when I went, no, but it's in his head, so he's really trying to man- mansplain to himself and figure out what you just articulated. Yeah. There's also a scene which probably, when you shot, was groundbreaking, and now has a completely different resonance. Um, I, I don't want to spoil too much about it because I, I do think for that sequence alone and i'm talking about the butcher what you called last night the butcher scene yeah that sequence alone i think people should watch i almost want you to take it out just and it and and, and just have it as a, a, it a thing for people can see because you made the threat uh, that you know for uh, now we have the me too movement you made that feeling of i you know and the guilt uh, or the shame that that some men not all feel as a result of yeah. you articulated that so magnificently I don't want to say beautifully because it was like it's, it's wrong to say beautiful it was just sure. very affecting
7: yeah i think it's not it's not meant to feel beautiful i don't want to appease that sense i want to it, i wanted it to be confronting and um and yeah.
0: and yet the choreography was out of west side story it really yeah. felt like that yeah. you know yeah. <laughs> yeah 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 which i guess in itself is also at for its time was a very threatening musical yeah. so
7: yeah it's true yeah, we were trying to walk that line but still have it be very, to feel very real, but in this theatrical, express, expressionistic way. Um, but yeah, I mean, that, you know, like you said, it's not, the the, the the film was shot a long time ago and it's not something that I could have planned that this would come out at this moment when this conversation is happening. And so it is, it is kind of a, a poignant, time to be trying to have this conversation of what does Me Too mean for men who want to engage with a feminist a feminist movement or a movement that's trying to amplify women's voices, their, women's experiences. Um, what, what does Me Too mean for me? Well, in that moment when I was writing the film, I wanted to really interrogate, like, what is my complicity? And, and even if I'm not Actively committing acts of violence even if I'm not the guy with the butcher knife you know dancing down the platform um, am I still in some way benefiting from this imbalance of power Mm -hmm. socially just you know it's not necessarily just about this or that individual monster who commits this act of sexual misbehavior that is really important to talk about and to create you know awareness and create safe spaces but I think there's also just a for me, my interrogation came from okay, in a broader sense, this is a social issue. I it involves me too, just as a male in this society. Me too movement is about men too. Like men need to engage with it and talk about what are the ways that we can be like proactive in, in not just
2: punishing
7: yeah. and, and creating a shame based um, uh, you know, because essentially the Me Too movement is a response to a failed legal system. You know, the courts, the legal system is not able to act like uh, effectively prosecute against these acts of sexual violence or, or abuse. So people take it into their own hands. They use social media. They call people out. They make allegations, and then act, and then things happen. Um, so the, the courtroom metaphor is not just a metaphor. It's actually, I'm trying to take that, um, I'm trying to go beyond those tactics of shame and guilt because I think ultimately that's only that can only get us so far. I think we need to yeah. talk about accountability and education and figuring out how men can be, like, you know, deconstructing their privilege in a way that makes room for, I don't know, just other forms of growth. I think guilt and shame and calling people out is really necessary right now because it's gone too far and there's too many people getting away with too many things that are just unacceptable. But if we want to move beyond that, I think there's a lot of men who want to engage productively, um, and that's the conversation I'm trying to I'm trying to have. Like yeah. How can men? What does "me too" mean for, for men? and
0: that And let me shift a little more lightly. Sorry, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sure, let, sure, no. sure. let us end on doom and gloom. Uh, no, that uh, Michael, how did you get involved? What's your connection?
5: Well, okay, so the connection, uh, I guess, technically would have begun in uh, something when we were in childhood. Oh. We uh, we were introduced through uh, fifth grade soccer. Uh, in Michigan,
0: soccer brings everyone together. Yeah, soccer yeah, brings everyone. Right. in
5: Michigan. Yeah, everybody played soccer or hockey, um, and we, we chose soccer. Luke had just come to Michigan and moved from out of state, and we played soccer together. We we uh, went to middle school and high school together, and then we kind of fell out when we went to college, right? And then years later, after I graduated university, he did. He had been just sitting this idea, and I had produced several films and directed a, a couple films before i was contacted to substitute as an assistant director on a on a film because the ad was gone one day and i, I jumped on board and it might have been like one or two days something like that uh and and then i uh you know i wrapped up that was it two days went by and i got a call and i was brought back onto the project and there were some there were some crew shifts that had happened some some crew had left the project and I jumped on board not only as the assistant director but as a producer Luke had Luke was interested Sorry, in Sorry we
0: just had to shoo away Mike Rabel program director Fie!
5: Fie upon thee! Um, <laughs> so uh, yeah Luke Luke had asked uh, you know, are you interested in producing this thing as well and that is really where my background uh, is in producing and producing and direction So, up until that point, Luke had... was it, like, about a third to a half of the film that you had...
7: Yeah, we shot shot? about... I mean, not even a a half. No, it was definitely... Maybe a third. third at most. Um, Yeah, we had, like, some close friends of mine who were a a couple that were married. um, During the production, they they needed to take some space and focus on their relationship. Um, So, they left the production and left this gap, and I was really scrambling, and Michael... Mm. I had showed up on set that one day when Michael was (laughs) subbing, and I I had no idea who my first AD was going to get as a substitute. And I walked on set, and there's Michael from high school or even elementary school. Yeah. I hadn't seen him in several years. Yeah, it was
5: five or six years. That's bad. And so, you
7: know, and and I was so grateful that he was on set. He was such a, you know, great first AD. And then when we needed some extra help to finish the shoot, I, I called him right away, and he was instrumental in saving our production, you know. He knew everyone in town. We were in Detroit, and he, you know, that's where we're from. So he, he knew everyone that we needed to get on board and keep shooting. So it was yeah. really fantastic.
5: When I was brought onto the project as the AD, I had no idea what exactly... I hadn't read the script. I, had just, I was just coming on to fill in. So I didn't know the story. I was coming in because it was shot out of order. There was a lot of stuff that was non-sequential. Um, and then when I was solicited to actually come on as a producer... To the project full time. I read the script and it struck me immediately. I, I read it and then I reread it and it struck a chord as it did with a lot of people that were attached to the project. That's the the beauty of the project is is that it it speaks to a lot of individuals on one level and another and a you keep on going down and, and and it just it it informs you in a number of ways that you would never imagine musically, emotionally, philosophically. Et cetera, et cetera. Like movies, do yeah. good movies do? Um, and for me, it spoke to me on a personal level um, and a philosophical level. And I knew that I had to be a part of it. Not only because I knew Luke and I wanted to support Michigan filmmaking, but I knew that he had he had something here. And I I got to say it was there were some trials and tribulations along the way. It was definitely one of the more challenging films that I had produced. But um, to to watch Luke's creative process, to watch him, because I had my doubts. I didn't. I like. I really didn't know. I, I. wasn't watching. I. I wasn't watching all the dailies. I was. I was seeing stuff shot out of order. I was. I was watching him come up with things on the fly and come up with shots and change the scheduling. As an assistant director, you're pulling your hair out. You're like, <laughs> what the hell is this guy doing? This is the first time director. It's going to come out disastrously. You got crew talking behind your back, right? Like, ah, oh, he doesn't know what he's doing. And about halfway through my time on there, I'm like, this guy is doing something. Like, he knows what he's doing. He, he's communicating in an abstract way through film, which is the best way he knows how to tell this story. Yeah. And it, it, it convinced me, it galvanized my, me and the crew to want to complete this film.
7: Michael might have had his doubts, but he never he never showed it. I never knew that. <laughs> <laughs> that's good friendship. That's huh? a good first AD right there. Because, yeah. you know, I mean, as a first-time director, yeah, you don't have a track record. People don't know if you're just crazy uh, yeah. or you actually have a, have something. You know what you're doing. Well, you, you could be both. Could be. That's probably very Yeah. I think, a, I think a director
5: is par crazy. You have yeah. to be to make a movie. There's no other way about it. Yeah. It's such a stressful um uh, it's such a harrowing experience and we all experience it together yeah.
0: I mean, so are you
7: going to make another definitely yeah i mean as as intense as it was i don't see any other way you know this this was like for me the most thrilling experience to 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 see all of these pieces come together and have it all in the end work and see it on the big screen like that it was just like there's nothing like it. And I don't yeah. think I could go back to some more monolithic form. I think this, this multimedia universe, of high integration between these elements is really where that I... That was a really I fun conversation. And again, so yeah, I love
0: talking loves the passion to create. to create. I hope that yeah. film gets such
3: distribution. I would. There there you oh, go. I think... I think so, you know, to that's time. one...
0: I yeah. could totally see becoming like a midnight movie. Yeah. In a real... Yeah. In a, and...
3: Yeah... What's we, the other one? There was another a recent rock opera that was uh, post apocalyptic kind of. Uh, yeah. I can't remember what it was now. I uh, I don't
0: know. Yeah. Depot the genetic opera. Yes, yes. Uh, that had a little bit of the midnight movie vibe exactly. and of run that way. Exactly. And people again, this is the thing: is if you get a chance to see it in a theater with other people to experience and go, yes. what the heck is going on?
3: Go, go. The and it's not a bad what-the-heck-is-going-on. No. It's like you're intrigued. No, no you're it really was intriguing.
0: It. And it, and I, you know, it was just... Yeah, it's a challenging, ambitious film. I yeah. love it. I yes. love it.
3: Yeah.
0: Uh, the next one was another challenging, ambitious film. And this interview took place before I actually saw the film. But I think we still had a good time. And I really enjoyed this sci-fi, as I described. David Lynch and Terry Gilliam had a baby. And they came up with Seven Splinters in Time. Written, directed, and composed by Gabriel Judet Weinshell. And so we got to sit down with him at the Four Points uh, on Friday night. Another fun conversation. Yes, guy with guy with passion, cool creator. So glad to meet him. Let's just dive in. Gabriel Judet Weinshell. Okay. All right. Well, we are at what hotel are we at, Rick? We're
3: at the Four Points.
0: Four Points Sheraton. And I, I ah. feel like I'm in another
3: room Gangs of New York. Like the bikes. Uh, I immediately
8: think Gangs of New York.
0: We are here at uh, at the four, yes. All right. So, uh, do I have to get an Irish accent or, or, then for this? I uh, think you
8: have to have an Irish accent. We, we're we're a, we are one beer in.
0: One I don't just know a how, moment. We got to get it. All right. Now I got it. All right. So, not bad. And so we're sitting here with uh, that's pretty. Good. Uh, our Irish listeners will now completely hate me. This is what happened. This is why I'm no longer on the BBC. <laughs> uh, uh, with Gabriel Jude, how do I pronounce your last name? Uh, Jude Weinshel. Uh, okay, Jude uh, A- A- Weinshel. You can just call me Gabriel. Gabriel. All right, that's. It's much easier to do in this accent. Though. Thank you. I love All right. the accent. So uh, we're with Gabriel, and he's the director of Seven Splinters in Time. Yes. And it is making its world premiere. Of course, we are actually time traveling with the podcast yeah, we because. Are. They'll listen huh. to us after the world premiere, but we're recording it before. So just blew my mind. <laughs> yeah, I just got we, totally. Stoked. We work in this this I, way I all feel the time, but
3: we I know.
0: <laughs> well, but well, why do not you go get one, man? Come on, yeah, there's got to be a li- How offensive can I be? There's got to be a little leprechaun walking around with his bourbon. I'm mixing because your producer <laughs> makes bourbon, or his, or his wife makes bourbon. Indeed, his wife makes bourbon. Yes, we, I've we, learned this. I'm getting a I free I think that's t-shirt. fair to say.
8: It's in the family. It runs in the family business, I think yes. it's fair to say.
0: All right. So, Seven Splinters in Time. Yes, sir. Describe this film without spoiling it for everyone. Without spoiling
8: it. It's a sci-fi time travel thriller. I suppose Time Traveler is a bit of a spoiler, but it's. Uh, I think it's fair to say it's a... Well, the title. I'm going to drop the accent the so title. that we
0: can gain a few... Our three Irish listeners the, the, back. The title <laughs>
8: does does reveal a bit. It uh, Detective goes to the scene of a murder and discovers that the body is his own body, identical to his own, and endeavors to unwrap the mystery of why there are different versions of him inhabiting the universe. One version is out to kill him.
6: Okay. And the film
8: is at its... Uh, superficial level a, you know, whodunit, but I would like to think uh, it delves a little deeper into uh, the mysteries of identity and what what is a person, how do we know who we are, what does memory do in terms of informing who we are, um, and there are some trappings of sort of art film language, cinema language, there's a lot of collage, we filmed in 17 different mediums, so there's 35mm film, super 16, 8mm uh, stills, animated, we shot in just about every flavor of digital red. Uh, it, I'm it goes, does your
3: does your, uh, does your main actor get paid? Does SAG require you to pay for every version of him that is in the film? We found a loophole, so Good, okay. we we
8: got. This is one of the ways oh, you, you so save money in any you're film. You're a looper. Is, exactly. Okay. <laughs> we actually, which our our film uh, took a we we took a we took our time in post. It's a very ambitious film for our very modest budget, and as a result, we took six years to finish the film. There are 300 effect shots and a. A uh, very ambitious score that was two years in the making alone. Um, there's actually over ninety minutes okay, of music. Okay, since I
0: know that you scored it yourself, I Did, you, it did you like scream at yourself for that? Like this is so ambitious. Why? Why? Why did you do this to me? We we, did, did we broke and just it, we broke
8: every rule of an indie film. You know, you're supposed to keep everything to a few locations, only a few performers, no special effects, never special effects, no chase scenes. We had two, no fight scenes. We had a few. Um, and don't, if you're directing and writing, for God's sakes, don't also score the film. So, we did all of the things you're not supposed to do. And, uh, you know, we are. You're also the lead actors,
0: aren't you? No, no, no. I'm not. Okay. No, I, okay. <laughs> I don't. I
8: make a cameo. I make a cameo. <laughs> well, um, you got to do that at I'm, that point. I'm juggling Bloody Chickens. <laughs> a moment, yeah. I juggle Bloody Chickens at one point, and I also stand in as the hat trick uh, stand in. Wait, so wait I I just, I'm hat-trick. just
0: parsing that one and saying, yeah, now everyone has to. Why don't we, because this guy just is describing. Juggling bloody chickens. I, I don't know. That I, Feels uh, like gang, very gangster for of for, for, again. for
8: much of my twenties. I made a living as a street juggler, uh, so that uh, came in handy if you need somebody to juggle chickens. And uh, I, I
0: cannot tell you how many times that has come up, and I've not been able to. You start satisfy off People that are always calling,
3: off, asking you to juggle chickens. You start off just juggling chickens, and eventually you end up juggling. Them. Bloody well, And eventually exactly. you, light, you light them on it's a slip, fire. It's a slippery slope from chicken and turkey And then you throw in a turkey.
8: <laughs> uh, so no, all, I don't juggle turkeys. That's for the challenge. No, no, Not I have right. standards.
0: Wow, wow. And, the,
8: <laughs> and they're free-range chickens. Just let Oh, totally oh, yeah. different. So and those they, are the healthy they, ones. they all volunteer. Yes.
0: They're in for it. Good. Form. So yeah. we got our two PETA listeners back. Very good. Exactly. So uh, I was talking to uh, your producer, Gil, yes. earlier. Gil and he said that he actually discovered you Walking into the basement of a festival, this sounds like, like I wasn't sure when he was starting to describe <laughs> it. it, was like, did he find you chained up somewhere saying, we, I have a story to tell! But it was apparently a film festival where there was like a screening in the basement of a we, hotel, we were and in it was the, a short uh, film.
8: We were in the downstairs of the Angelica Cinema uh, on Houston Street in New York City, and uh, Gil, we were at the IFP market, um, and I had a, a featurette, it was a 46 minute film, which is... Actually, technically by Academy standards, it's a feature-length film, but we're going to call it a featurette. I did and
0: not know that about the Academy rules. I know, it's... they have they have
8: very low standards for what a feature <laughs> oh. pertains. Um, I mean, nobody's ever complained about a film being too short, so 46 minutes is actually, you know. But at, at any rate, I had a film showing there, Gil had a documentary next door, and I think Gil had seen his documentary plenty of times and wandered into mine and liked it. And uh, I, I, th- I can't remember what happened next. I think he approached me and said, hey, I'm Gil Holland, um, I really liked your film, and I have this music label, I'm also a producer, but I have this music label, and I, I have a, an artist I'd like you to do a music video for. And I didn't know who, I didn't know him from Adam, And um, but I asked around the festival, and everybody knew who this guy was, this guy, Gil Holland, everybody, and they said, whatever you do, work with him. And Gil said, I have $1,000, that's my budget, and I was like, and even as a 24-year-old, I knew that was a low budget, uh, but everybody I talked to said, whatever you do, work with him. And it's been one of the best decisions of my life. And we've been uh, collaborating in different ways uh, for many years. He, uh, His record label put out some of my folk rock records, uh, some of my film scores. And now he's a producer on this feature film.
3: And you are impeccably dressed, by the way should tell that.
0: Yeah. That is uh, Sal Pizarro is going to send me a photo that he took of us earlier. <laughs> and clearly, I was going, this is the first day of the festival. Where I'm like, I'm going to do the nerd look. I'm wearing a Big Hero I like 6 shirt. shirt. I and, like uh, shirt. And it was like, this is what, you know, this is what I normally dress like. I'm just better dressed for work the rest you of the You have week. an amazing
8: button down. There's, there's uh, look like astronauts on it. This is Big Hero print. 6.
0: It's the characters of oh, Disney. Oh, very it's cool. It's a Ray Spooner uh, amazing. shirt. Amazing. So, so I think that wins. No,
3: around. I don't know. The problem buying? with that shirt is that it's too authentically Asian in flavor that people won't look for the second level of what's in there. That's uh, okay. Yeah. There's I, a lot going on. Let, there is know. a lot yeah. going on with this shirt. Yeah. yeah. yeah.
0: yeah. 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 Uh, <laughs> but look, no, so no, back no, to no. you oh, good, okay. and your sartorial splendor. <laughs> so the 46-minute feature featurette. Was that the beginning of Seven Splinters in Time? Or Not at no? all. so okay. to- totally separate. And I misunderstood you earlier. So. The only
8: connection between those two films is uh, we actually have a clip of that film in this current film. But yes. other than that, and one of the character names, Elio Wax, uh, named after an English professor of mine, is purported in this film to be the brother of one of our main characters, Theodore Wax. Played by Austin Pendleton. So but you're creating that, a
0: separate... highly intellectual version of like the Viewersky universe. It's, you're doing it's, the Kevin Smith it's thing. just
8: a, a series of crazy self-referential.
3: Uh, well, you're planning ahead actions. for when you, be, you be, it become big, it's, and then the archivist can find it. It's all hubris, connection. indeed. Yeah. indeed. Uh,
0: that's all right. That's all right. And then you just mentioned the actors, so Austin Pendleton, Austin Pendleton, who is just a fantastic. Oh my god! I mean, almost like, I, it's like almost a cult career. He's a like, he's, he's a legend those... in
8: the, in in the living flesh. And and hasn't gotten I think his proper I mean he uh, the man needs an Oscar and he's been around forever and he's one of those guys like you've seen him in so many things and everyone knows his face but yes. maybe maybe he's not quite a household name. He yet. is
0: one of my all-time favorite actors. Oh. So this is you know really just cool to hear and, and to such a him.
8: mention such a pleasure to be around. We had him for I think three or four days on set. He plays Fedor Wax, the um, the mad scientist uh, who invents the uh, the time travel experiment. And he, um, he just brought so much um, life and charisma to the character, and um, we just loved having him. He, there's one scene he has, I think it's roughly seven pages uh, of monologue where he's it's sort of a large uh, expository sequence. And he just grokked the whole thing and could do it off book. Oh, you're okay?
0: No, I'm saying bonus points to you for using the verb grok. Oh, yes, yes. <laughs> he, uh,
8: he, he did it off-book. You're one of us. Welcome. There you go. Thank you, thank you. Yes. He did it off-book over and over again. We were shooting in the Angel Warren Sands uh, Synagogue in New York, which is this really amazing, beautiful space. Um, and at one point, halfway through the day, roughly, it was summertime, summer of 2011, There was an earthquake, but we didn't know it at the time. So the whole building started to shake. And our small skeleton crew, maybe 20 people, roughly 25 people, um, all intuitively, like primal reflex kicks in. And we all rushed out of the building. And I'm at the door, and I look back, and I realize Austin's still in character, still mid-monologue. And he is not leaving the building. And I run back for him, and I grab him and drag him out of the building. (laughs) <laughs> and we get up but that's how like that's, that's how committed he was that's yeah. intensity yeah so we thought we thought it was uh, the, the film at that point he's talking actually about um, uh, splinters in the universe um, and and earthquakes and whatnot happening so it was very fitting that there was an actual earthquake.
0: now your original title for this film was omphoros Omphilos Omphilos, Omphilos okay.
8: which means the navel of the world it's a Greek word um, and they have a word for everything they have a word for everything um, it was a word I think it's uh, Joyce used it often. It was a big Joyceian word and, and reading uh Ulysses in college, I thought I'm gonna make a film someday called Omphilus and um clearly already having a bead on you know commercial
0: yes. aspects
8: <laughs> and uh when we started the film so the film was omphious for many years and uh we have this good news that we... I don't think we can... Although this will be, uh, this will be post the good news, so it's probably okay to I would
0: say, Yeah, please do. When does this come out? Wait, this is it be Monday or Tuesday? Sure. Depends on how many I think it's safe to we say.
8: Buy. We have a distribution deal. And the film will actually be in theaters... Uh, which is quite a coup. We're, we're really excited about it. So uh, one of the, the contingencies of the distribution deal was to find a title for God's sakes that <laughs> was, was that that because everybody, even very intelligent people, you, t- you say the film's called *Omphalos*, and, and the the, uh, the inevitable response was, "I'm sorry," and then you have to explain. And yeah, you know, that's the one that
0: plays in the small house exactly. at, the, at the biggest of the AMC exactly. theaters. Exactly. <laughs> Indie Cinema Sunday. S- sweeping
8: the malls worldwide. <laughs> yeah. um, um, so so Seven Splinters in Time is our is our title. And I like that. T- we're, I we're
0: like us. You've taught me a new word. Yes. But uh, I like the title, Seven Splinters in so, Time. Thank it's, you. Thank you.
8: Yeah, we're, it was a it was a very collaborative brainstorming session. Among, and then if it opens up
0: after A Wrinkle in Time, then it's like, you know, exactly. people are You know, saying, we thought
8: of A Wrinkle. Yeah. We, we were like, is this too much like A Wrinkle in Time? And we're like, no, oh, it's not a bad thing, you know. We're, we're excited about that movie, so we'll, we'll ride their coattails. You no,
0: know, that, that's, that's good. I guess everybody seems to be excited about that movie as well. I know, seriously. So, yeah. um, well, and let's talk about uh, your music career just a little bit. So, you mentioned your folk rock. You've got several albums. We
8: have well, we have one. We, there's another record coming out soon. Max Gabriel is my uh, singer, songwriter, and composer name.
3: So you're on SoundCloud, or we're on
8: SoundCloud. There's a and then uh, Gil Holland. Uh, With his partner, uh, Jackson Swain, have a label in Louisville called Sonoblast Records. They're a really great sort of boutique label. There's a lot of really great artists on them, and I'm happy to be among them. So um, they're putting out, they put out a couple of my soundtracks. So uh, I did a documentary called From Baghdad to Brooklyn, and that soundtrack's available. And then our seven splinters in time... Uh, uh, soundtrack just got released excellent score yeah
4: how oh, cool so but um,
8: yeah always been a musician my whole life and um, did a record with a fellow named uh, Scott Healy a really dear friend and mentor of mine he's the keyboardist on the Conan O'Brien show wow. uh, and really great producer and just one of the best musical minds I know and uh, we're doing a second record together coming That's up. great. yeah yeah he was he was amazing workers because he was able to bring in he has like this crazy rolodex of some of the best like session cats in la and new ah. york so you know i went from playing in my bedroom and little gigs in new york uh, on the first record and he was like so who do you want on bass i have paul simon's bass player he and he came in we had bakithi kumalu and we got this guy named sean pelton like one of the best drummers yeah. around and I was way out of my league. I had a really, really fun time doing that.
0: That's excellent. Well, we're very much looking forward to the film tomorrow night. Although by the time you listeners are listening to this, you're seeing it at your local Four multiplex. Nights ago, yeah. Four summer, nights ago, Summer
8: release. We don't have a date yet. but Okay, some, so sometime, sometime in the summer. summer. In ten U.S. cities.
0: Uh, yeah.
8: yeah so, that's pretty good. So being one of them.
0: <laughs> I'm, I'm going to guess for L.A. listeners... It'll be an arc light. I will. I, I will. I would love that. that. Would be
8: that would be amazing. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That's cool. Uh, so Emmanuel
8: Shrieky is in the film as well. Yes. Uh, if you're an entourage fan. She was just an utter pleasure
0: to work with. She is an actress that uh, I know I know her from other things. I'm not actually an entourage fan, there you and, go. but I do like her because I can't remember what it was I saw her in years ago and went, oh, she's one to watch.
8: She was in the, Z- the Zohan film. Uh,
0: what was it? Good God, that was yes, it. Yes. yes. yes, yes. <laughs> Don't mess with the Zohan. Don't mess with the Zohan. <laughs> thank you. Thank God. I couldn't remember. Which the whole is yet. actually a really funny film. Uh, yeah. So, yes. Yeah. Yes. All right. Yes. So there we go. So uh, and
8: then, and then Eduard, our amazing lead, Eduardo Ballerini, who is, um, I think, long been awaiting his, you know, his sort of spotlight moment. He's he's a character actor, but also leading man. But you've seen him. He's he's a familiar face. He's been in Sopranos and Boardwalk Empire. He's starring opposite Harvey Keitel in a film out right now. And um, just under. under you
3: Boardwalk Empire.
8: He played. Oh my gosh! I one of the brothers. He got whacked in the first season. Okay.
3: I love that show. Yeah,
8: yeah, and then he played Lucky Luciano in The Sopranos. Ah. No, 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 that's not
3: correct. No, that wouldn't be right. Cut yeah. that
8: out. That was absolutely wrong. No, no, we, we, a, we can't cut it. We can't but, you cut know,
3: it but it's flavor. Yeah,
8: that was completely specious information, maybe informed by. So you're right. You're a beer in and wheelhouse and a house.
0: house yeah, there. we just we don't know what we're talking about. We don't know what we're talking
8: about. He plays the. Uh, He's, a, I think he's a, a junkie. Junkie, there's a junkie character. Oh my god! I should have this information.
0: It's okay. It's okay. Look it up good. for your next one. Uh, so, but he's great, and he <laughs> plays eight
8: characters in the movie. That is awesome. Yeah,
0: he was so amazing, awesome. There we go. I want to give you some time to go back and shoot. All right. Thank, thank, you so nice. thank you so much Gabriel. for sitting down. Thank, thank you too. Too. so much. Well, I really appreciate you guys. Which is yeah, right. like freely admit. Or so I'm just, you know, it's not like, ooh, is it? It's not a Richard Bachman situation points for those who know and uh, now we get to the shorts which to me is a thing I keep I keep positioning these as I want I realized finally last night watching we need a show not like Black Mirror not like Twilight Zone we need an anthology like what did I just say a Night Gallery because that had little blackouts it had right. 10 minute pieces right. I, and I was thinking about it this morning
3: Wow. Amazing stories might have done that, and I heard rumors that was coming back. Well, it's stuff that isn't produced by the people who are producing the show. They, I mean, I'd love to see, I mean, I wish there was some place I could go to see all these smaller yes. films, other than the YouTube. A lot of them show up on YouTube. That's true. But, but just the idea But that a lot of these
0: at CineQuest haven't yet.
3: The, the benefit of CineQuest is you have people like Chris Garcia and you and Mike Rabel and that are cultivating. They're, they're 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 finding they things. Yeah. So, you know, needing needing that. I mean, I love the I love the short film programs. But if you, I prioritize them highly because it's like the only chance you're going to see a lot of this stuff. This
0: was one, and, and I, I I promise, you know, if if one of these that that we love like shows up on YouTube oh I'll post it it's great yeah but I I really would like some like I think if Netflix would commit to something like this or Hulu committed something like this this is one of the strongest shorts lineups I've ever seen at at Cinequest honestly yeah Yeah. and and I have just I don't think even the even the shorts that I felt like eh that wasn't the best of them it was still good it was just the others were so good you know? Well, it's always a mix. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, one that I just, I just adore because it was so cool, so smart. Uh, a, a quantum physics rom com, multiverse dating for beginners, and of course, we've we've been seeing a lot of this we've writer been director every, every night over um, every, every, night. every da- Yeah, great Kelly Tatum. Uh, wonderful conversation, wonderful film. Can't wait for it to show up on YouTube. So that I could post it on Fanboy Planet. Exactly. Uh, and, of course, after we recorded, turn another on the recorder, graphic novels. What should she read? So, you know, there we go. Uh, Kelly Tatham, writer-director of Multiverse Dating for Beginners. Once again, in the back of the Continental, the executive lounge, uh, with Kelly Tatham, who is a director of, director, writer, producer, how many titles do you want to throw in? All of them. Okay, <laughs> no. all of them, of uh, Multiverse Dating for Beginners. Yes. So, definitely kind of the, the short film in the fanboy planet wheelhouse. So, I'm going to start with a softball question. Yes.
2: I should correct first. I didn't produce, but I did executive produce. Okay, well,
0: okay. Maybe that's... I'll get back... Okay, no, I'm... Okay, yes. What's the difference between a producer and an executive producer? Because I have always wondered, what does that mean? No, I sort of know, but... Honestly, I feel
2: like it could be different on any film, because the role of producer is just all over the place. Um, but in this case, uh, my producing partner, Sasha Duncan, uh, she, uh, she also story edited, so she's a creative producer, so she helped with the script, and... Um, and then help, and then did the scheduling and um, the permits and all of that, um, organizing, facilitating, making it happen, uh, a million other things that you just can't even describe. Uh, and then, in, for executive producer, I funded it. I it was self-funded. So, in in a big film, it would be you know someone with all the money. But for me, it was just scraping together whatever I could. <laughs>
0: okay, okay. So my softball question is: yeah. uh, Can you explain quantum theory?
2: Yes, so <laughs> I love quantum theory. I think um, the, the way I describe it is that at, a, at the subatomic level, so everything's made up of atoms, of course, and once you go below the atom, um, things start behaving differently. So we live in this world, and we understand the laws of physics and gravity, and things behave a certain way. And as soon as you go subatomically, it doesn't behave the way that we understand. And essentially, things don't... The the particles are always moving between a wave and a particle form. Nothing is set or exists until you observe it. So once you go below the surface of everything that exists, nothing actually exists unless there's a conscious observer.
0: So we are all just the bouquet in God's mind.
2: Well, you know, uh, that's the tagline for the film, is all possible outcomes exist. Because at any given point, um, all possible outcomes do exist because it requires... Choice and consciousness for reality to take place.
0: Right. So, uh, for those listening, if you did not guess, then the subject of multiverse dating for beginners is a romantic comedy with multiversal choices, uh, alternate realities happening. Uh, and so, you know, what was your basic inspiration aside from yes, you like quantum theory? <laughs>
2: um, so my inspiration, you know, the, it's all over the place, but uh, wanting to address dating the way that I had experienced it. Um, and using the metaphor of the multiverse. Um, films like Run Lola Run and Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind that
0: <laughs> this happens. holds her
2: plane. <laughs>
0: <laughs> we are we are under the flight path yes. of the airport, yes.
3: So
2: um yeah, so films like Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, Run Lola Run, Comet, um a, a play I directed in high school called "Sure Thing" by the brilliant David Ives. It's a surrealist. I have d- directed
0: that, no! so I do know what you're talking about. The ding and yes, it goes over. Yes, right? yes, I know that one. Yeah, so yes.
2: um, that to me just really stuck in my head, and I love, I love absurdist surrealist comedy um, and using, you know, bringing up all those raw, really intense, real emotions. But then exploring them through fun ways. So I wanted to put my personal experiences onto the screen in a way that other people would would understand and relate to, um, and hopefully get something out of.
0: Okay. And you said that you, uh, the question came up in the Q and A, so I will just, it's just interesting to repeat, why the scarf as a trigger for alternate universes? Which I loved the mo- the move. It was yeah. like it was a great touch. Yeah. And who can get that magic scarf?
2: (laughs) We're selling them on the website. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) We should. (laughs) It's all magic. Um,
0: It's all science. Yeah.
2: (laughs) The scarf, uh, the the first draft of the script, he he brought the scarf out to her, but it wasn't what triggered the time shifts. She yells at at the end of the first scene in the first draft. She just screams to the sky because she was so frustrated. And then that's what was, and then she realized that it was her voice that was controlling it but then that wasn't very visually interesting and it was comedic but it didn't um it just wasn't making sense and S- sasha my story editor was like hey the scar is already it's right here you know like use this and um and then we used that to to play around with you know the different lengths take you different uh lengths in time and um yeah it just kind of you know i wrote it in and it just kind of bubbled up to the surface that that was what yeah. needed to be
0: yeah, and now you're interested in expanding... I, I don't know if it's right to say expanding your short, but you're interested in developing a feature that covers similar territory, or similar thematic
2: Yeah, features. so I am writing a feature film uh, that I'll be making in the next year or so, depending on how things go. But, um, yeah, so it's the same themes. It's going to be a very different concept, because the concept of the short works as a short, whereas yeah. the feature... Um, it's, it's the same themes of The overarching things you know love is love a choice is it something that happens to us and more so um, where do we get these beliefs about how we love and how you know everything is story and so we get we go through day-to-day thinking that things are the way they are but what I really wanted to do was pull back even more and ask like where do those beliefs come from where do those behaviors come from why do we do the things we do Uh, and so that's What I'll continue to explore in the future. But then also, the multiverse has led me to biocentrism and um, other concepts and theories. I'm doing some research into this very interesting unified field theory. And um, just honestly, like, exploring the true nature of reality and how that comes to be and how that ties in and weaves in and finding parallels um, through love and choice. And, yeah. True nature of reality. It's, there's a lot going on. It's going to be a, yeah. <laughs> a heady now, film. Now, uh, do
0: you stay sober for these thoughts?
2: <laughs> I like to indulge the, in some your, legal your,
0: marijuana. Uh, <laughs> your, uh, <yeah>. Second <laughs> interview in a row where that's come up.
2: Uh, <laughs> it, it's great for brainstorming.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it is interesting. The nature of reality. Um, and, uh, so biocentrism. Let's uh, let's get really deep on this. Sure, I mean, I sure. think this is the unexpectedly deep conversation. Oh, yeah. because it was a comedy. <laughs> but we're going to talk about like, okay, what yeah. is the nature of reality? While well, yeah. is it your bimonte? Yes. So I think that's a mind altering substance. Am I only sober. I only see it here. <laughs> is it blue pork? Blue-phoria. No. blue Bluephoria. Okay. Yeah. So I'm going to have to get some of that. Um, <laughs> no, but I, I don't mean to imply that because I totally understand. But yeah. so biocentrism is a.
2: So biocentrum is is, is a theory that. Consciousness Creates Reality This is a really great quote by um, I think it's Cicero I might be saying that wrong, an old philosopher Basically
0: <laughs> uh, There's a series of big Finish audio dramas about Cicero starring the guy from uh, Dirk gently's Holistic Effective Agency anyway, well, I just want to throw that in because we love big Finish audio so
2: Go ahead nice. um, Basically, and I might be butchering the quote but it goes um, Why do you not believe the universe is a conscious intelligence when it gives birth to conscious intelligence? So everything that we understand is, is cycles of uh, life and death. You know, humans give birth to humans. That's how yeah. they exist. We, we, you know, And so to think that the universe isn't conscious seems kind of silly when you look at it that way. Mm-hmm. Um, but so and I, I think, you know, there's a lot of New Age and there's a lot of Eastern philosophy and religion that has addressed this subject. But biocentrum is the first one, the scientific theory where they're proving it through physics or biology. And um I mean do you, how what, I can give you an example of Do? Yeah. So if a tree falls in the forest. Right, that's fine, yeah. <laughs> if a tree falls in the forest and no one is around to hear it, does it make a sound? What do you think? Well no,
0: I I, yeah. I do understand the scientific answer, which yeah. is it needs a receptor to hear the sound. Exactly. So the exactly. vibration otherwise goes nowhere.
2: Sure. So it doesn't make a sound. If if you don't you need a conscious.
0: but if a plane flies overhead <laughs> <laughs> d- <laughs> does it interrupt the podcast. <laughs> Yes! Okay. Let's <laughs> go.
2: Um, yeah, so, you know, you need uh, uh, ears and a conscious brain to under to understand sound. So any animal or any uh, hearing entity uh, would hear it. But if there's nothing around, there's no sound being made because there's no ears and consciousness to process it. Um, and that's not even getting into quantum theory. Like, if, you know, like, if, if say, if no one's observing it, is it happening? Who knows? But, um but if there's no years around. So, and this this theory goes deeper and deeper and for me as a storyteller, I love doing the research and I love learning about all of that, but I don't I don't need to fully grasp these theories. I, I, I take what I need to tell the story and then I interpret it through... Right,
0: we saw, there was a short film that included that today, right? With the, um, our brains are tiny. Oh, that was the uh, Harry soul man. Uh, that our brains are too tiny to sure. comprehend. Uh, <laughs> and I thought... No, that's that's, yeah. that's pretty accurate. Are you influenced by any science fiction that has come before?
2: Yes, um, you know, I think so. You know, labeling things like in terms of saying this genre is science fiction, and sometimes I, I things it, that it I all, love, it, I consider it, science fiction that other people it might all not. it all
0: comes out of romance. I have argued that because in the in in Shakespeare's day, anything that was unbelievable was was a romance. Yeah, so yeah. magic and science totally, same thing.
2: and it's just like for me, I. My biggest love, I find, is surrealism. So that that eternal sunshine, that yeah. Run Lola Run, um, Amelie, uh, Stranger Than Fiction. You know, like those kind of elements of magic. But also, I do love things that are classified as hard science fiction. I recently have been getting into J.G. Ballard, uh-huh. and uh, I find his work really fascinating. I read uh, The Terminal Beach. That's a book of short stories. Yeah, I've heard of it. I yeah, read it. I love. I love. Um, I love science fiction that is exists in our world, and things are just slightly different, and people are grappling with how, how you, to understand. How, how do you
0: feel about Philip K. Dick?
2: I haven't read any Philip K. Oh, Dick. But like I've yeah. seen a lot of the adaptations. Sure, yeah, he's
0: frighteningly accurate.
2: <laughs> like, well, and that's the thing—he
0: was a futurist, and this is unbelievable. And yeah. then suddenly, it's yeah. Well, it's I mean, come that's true. like
2: the the story. You gotta listen to the. Storytellers, you know, it, it's it's all, again, well, if we're saying that we create our own reality, you could say that Philip K. Dick writing those stories created that reality. Um,
0: Which he also believes. Yes. yes. <laughs> Believe, I'm sorry, he had some rough years in the past. Yeah, the but I also decade. think
2: like... art and storytelling are kind of this expression of of grappling with, with understanding and processing before science gets there. And so you see that in art a lot, in, in painting. You see, yeah. like, his mathematical equations... 30 years before the scientific breakthrough came. So mm-hmm. I really believe that that art in general is the, like, kind of pre-verbal or verbal, but on the sense of through metaphor before we get to the scientific understanding.
0: I'm with you. So I really <laughs> am. I really am. So... I want to thank you for sitting down because oh, it's my like pleasure. I want to talk more, yes. but I don't think that would be interesting. I, I think we'll be interested. Yeah. I don't think it's, so.
2: Well, another. Well, I just read Annihilation, and okay. I saw the film and I loved it. And everyone should go see it. It's probably out of theaters already, but no, no, it's still here.
0: <laughs> it's still We're the here. Silicon oh, Valley Paramount, is the right. Like, is the yeah really just, disturbing. I, I,
2: who's in charge there? And like they wanted to take the ending away from um, what's his face. Um, uh, oh, uh, oh, my God. Garland, uh, Alex Garland. Alex Garland. Garland. Thank you. I love his work. I'm a huge fan. Um, the Beach and 22... Anyways. But, like, you can't take the ending away from the writer-director. Like, get out of town. Well, they didn't, but they but, tried but to.
0: But, sure, they can. They have many, well, many Scott times. Well,
2: stepped up for him, and they protected it, fortunately. Good, good. Yeah. As far as I understand. Um,
0: <laughs> but, yeah, no, no, no. I mean, it's interesting, because I always think with a, with a... Especially with short films, when I really like a short film wondering where the life is mm-hmm. for it because good I'm excited that you want to do a feature mm-hmm. that you're working on a feature film mm-hmm. but I want people to see the short and I have no idea where people are gonna where where that outlet is sure. and so I think annihilation as you bring up is a case where yeah. it's Netflix overseas Paramount had so little Faith, Faith and, yeah. that it's not getting an international yeah. distribution is going right too. And
2: that's just so unfair to the fans out in other.
0: But on the other hand, I subscribe to Netflix and I find so many cool things absolutely, on Netflix. Absolutely, absolutely.
2: That's a whole other conversation of like distribution and streaming. Right, and, like, which we actually I have, have many the times. I love the theatrical the model, but I don't know that it's sustainable for every film. Yeah, yeah. or at all. Who knows? That's. That's yeah.
0: They're going to get beamed into our heads eventually, just <laughs> yes, directly. Seven They're going to cut off the middle man. Just end. get on board working now. Working yeah, just get so on the bottom really, and, yeah. yeah. and then <laughs> go to sleep. So with, the, with the same go. kind yeah. of quiet. Yeah. All all right, <laughs> <back> thank <laughs> you so much for sitting oh, down. My pleasure. challenge of
3: thinking about alternate realities. It's always exciting to talk to a young filmmaker who's who's potentially going to go somewhere. And, yeah, this is... Yes, another situation.
0: Uh, Another pair. A surprise off that same comedy lineup was this film. We know where you live, which was almost like a. It's a a Los Angeles version of Get Out, sort of, but like tackling gentrification. Did you get to see the comedy shorts? I haven't yet.
3: I've got them. They're scheduled for this weekend.
0: We know where you live. You're gonna. It's it's hilarious. It 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 is brilliant. Um, And we we get into some of the things that like I was like I know those people. Stop it. (laughs) <laughs> but uh, anyway, so uh, Bill Posley, who was a writer and actor, and I guess producer of, of the short, with Honora on- Talbot, who is a writer, actor, and director of the short, uh, sat down with me in the Continental, and we talked about the, the influence of Get Out on this response, living in Los Angeles and being in, in the midst of that culture, and this film spoofs it so well. Uh, I just loved it. So let's talk to Bill Pelt- Bill Posley, and Honora Talbot. Hey, I am backstage at the Continental with Bill Posley and Honora Talbot. Who mm-hmm. I will say, identify yourselves. <laughs> I'm Minora. Yes, you can probably guess which voice is which. But. Hi, I'm Bill. <laughs> and they are the creative team behind uh, the film We Know Where You Live, a short film in the, that's playing here at CineQuest with the comedy shorts. So let's, let's begin with this. Uh, you brought it up in the Q&A. Bill, that I, I always have to remember that no one can see <laughs> me gesture when they listen to the podcast. You brought up, this is almost like a response to Get Out. It's yes. an interesting piece about rental or, or the gentrification, perhaps, mm-hmm. of uh, Native Angelinos versus, I don't know what you want to say. Uh, hipsters? Predatory hipsters. Predatory <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> hipsters is perfect. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um,
9: and yeah, like I don't know. Not that your response. I, I think it's more like it's
0: uh, akin inspiring. to
9: and inspired by Get Out.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's a bit. But do you well, mm-hmm. say, like, a response doesn't necessarily mean like a counter. No, it's yeah, just, yeah, true. It's true. an inspiration, yes. and I'm I'm fascinated to see how many other pieces of art we will see as a yeah, result yeah. of that. But mm-hmm. so, what did inspire Nora You
3: wrote and directed. Uh, Bill co-work? and
10: I uh, wrote wrote it together, and then I directed it. Um, and then we act in it as well. Um, but yeah I mean we saw we saw Get out and I mean it really is probably the best movie of um, this past year and um, you know we come from a sketch comedy comedy background and we you know have been wanting to make um, just stronger work and wanted to make you know a great short and you know Jordan Peele is you know a sketch. Comedy genius, and I feel like we were just, you know, doubly inspired that, you know, he was able to make this, you know, brilliant film that is funny, plays with genre, and also has this incredible social commentary. So it just inspired us to figure out what, you know, what do we like to make a mark on or say something about. And we live in LA, and, you know, gentrification is is happening all the time, and displacement is real, and so that was sort of like the jumping off point of like, okay, maybe we can also do a comedic thriller. Um, How
0: many times a week do you eat avocado toast?
10: (laughs) Uh, There was a point where I was probably uh, eating it regularly. (laughs) (laughs) But we moved from the good avocado toast. (laughs)
0: <laughs> okay okay um <laughs> you also mentioned this is an opportunity to cast latino actors in a role that is mm-hmm. not um, mm-hmm. kind of well for like the stereotypes of what hollywood is is doing yes. or has been doing i think it might be changing i that's my hope but well
10: there's a march happening right now um that our lead actress melina babadilla is um actually reporting on um that's about, you know, getting more uh, Latino representation in Hollywood. Uh, because the Oscars are tomorrow. And so um, there is is like a march happening mm-hmm. right now. And that's actually why she couldn't be here today. Oh, okay.
9: Yeah, I think it's something crazy. Like, uh, you know, the Latino population is nearly 20% of the American population. And, and only like
10: 50% ex- of L.A.
9: Yeah, yeah. And 6% is represented on television. It, it makes up yeah, like 6% on yeah. television. So it's pretty low.
10: Mm-hmm.
9: Um, for how much uh you know citizens we have in this country that are Latino and you know a lot of times you see things like it'd be like oh well narcos or you have you know some of these things and a lot of times they're you know it's it's perceived you know they're perceived as you know uh, uh, drug lords or yeah, so or like,
10: mistresses or you yeah, yeah. know just right. this Isn't um, it or yeah, those, or yeah. Some exactly. side
9: characters and and kind of quirky out there you know kind of uh caricatures and so uh, what we really wanted to do was actually just make them, you know, normal, lead human lead characters and then let us, the quote-unquote uh, quote, hipsters, oh. be the, the side stereotypes. Side <laughs> so, well, <yeah>. stereotypes. <laughs> so here, I
0: like, uh, of the things that are kind of the hipster that you'll see, there was the Mayan chant, which was probably my favorite moment. Yeah. Of oh. that, having, oh. No, it's from Spanish. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah. yeah. it's not... Um, but of the things, how much did you have to make up, and how much have you really encountered people saying like, you know, I, there's nice details like the, the bar that is a, mm-hmm. a briefcase essentially, yeah, uh, home so.
10: bar that's you know you can carry along, and <laughs> you make your cherry lemongrass simple yeah. syrup.
9: Well, yeah, just I I I don't know. Uh, so basically, what you know, us coming in to their home. Uh, and trying to creepily gentrify them is, you know, inspired by the amount of, you know, Spanish, Latin culture that already exists in L.A. And and then starts... It's getting
10: appropriated. is, is
9: getting appropriated. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's where that scene basically came from is... And, like, you know, I always hear... And this is just across the board where it's like, you know, we went to, you know... You know, we went to Mexico and had this traditional, or like you know, people who go to these
0: places. Well, and you think called they, it uh, Tulum, t- Tulu? and I thought that was like some hipster thing for Toluca Lake. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I'm like, oh, my God, is that what they're calling it now? <laughs>
9: oh, that's that's good. Um, no, so like, yeah, Tulum is like the new Cabo. Yeah. In Mexico, where I'm clearly the, too old. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah <laughs> it's like no idea. New, it's the new Cabo, but like, you know, you think that you go to the most. Um, you know, you think you go to the most uh, authentic Mexican restaurants and places and all this stuff, so you're like, "Oh, I understand this culture, and so I think I can just now do what they're doing." And then to do that in front of people, and for us to just butcher Spanish and butcher yeah. this prayer, and just in
10: like whatever the equivalent of mansplaining is for cultural identity, is yeah. our characters. You know, we're like, "No, no, 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 no!" Like this, you know. You know, my, uh, didn't like Mayan come from Spanish? You know, right. like we are trying to, like, no, this is real, and we're just saying all of the exact wrong
0: things. Yeah, I, I don't know what the word, I think mansplaining has just become the general term, <laughs> yeah. but it, 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 it was <laughs> fascinating. So, yeah, what's, what's next for the film and for you?
10: Well, we'd love to, you know, play in more festivals. This was the world premiere here. Um, we're honored, and yeah, we're so <laughs> excited. It was, it was really. It's been a wonderful festival. Um, now we're playing at the Portland Comedy Festival, and um, yeah, waiting to hear for, from some more. And yeah, I mean, we have other short films in the works, and.
9: I mean we'd love to see this as, as a, a movie, feature I mean. for sure the a longer more you know really up the Annie and really intensify it a
0: lot more yeah. and be able this to This is almost
10: like a first you know not yeah. even a first act in the movie would be you know so I mean, so much more Yeah you yeah.
0: mentioned a, a little bit of background in sketch comedy so are you on stage with the troupe down in LA or
10: I uh, yeah I mean I perform with a a sketch team called Drug Money and um we have our we have a show at the Comedy Central stage, March 20th. <laughs>
9: Where is the Comedy Central stage now? Um, Hudson it's, Theater yeah. on Santa Monica oh, in, okay. in Los Angeles. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so and there he has a,
10: a one-person show that's going to be at, at Fringe.
9: Yeah, yeah. So I'm going to be in the Hollywood Fringe this year doing a one-man show. Called? Uh, called The Day I Became Black, a biracial experience in America.
0: You can pin that to a specific day? Yes. Okay. <laughs> uh, it is.
9: Uh, it was the day of the O.J. verdict. Because uh, I'm biracial, I thought I was both black and white, and my dad sat me down and explained that I wasn't. I was black. How so, old were you? Nine, eight,
0: nine years. Nine years old. I, when is that? Because I want to see that show.
9: Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. that'll be uh, it'll be in June, but it'll probably be sooner. I'm going to put up some preview shows before then. Okay, before okay. the run. You so. have my card. Yes. I want an email? Yeah, yes, because
0: sure. I, I could easily get down there to see that. I'm I'm fascinated. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Cool. Wonderful. And uh, yeah, so hope you enjoy the rest of your cinequest. Thanks for sitting down, and thanks for a really fun, fun, and pop provoking <laughs> film. <laughs> Appreciate it. Thank you. It. And I'm hoping Bill reaches out to me. He mentioned he's doing this one-man show. I really want to go see it. Once to see the short? In Los Angeles? In Los Angeles, okay. yes. Uh, he he talked about it in the interview, so I don't need to repeat it, but because people listening have heard about it now. See, it's that time travel thing. You haven't it's, heard it It's yet. difficult. Yeah, It is
3: difficult. And then I'll hear it again before they do.
0: Right. It's so confusing. Yeah. Anyway, uh, so I'm looking forward to that. And uh, really cool, again, Man, what an inspiring week this has been! So, and there's still more because we have more conversations Indeed. to have this weekend and for next week's episode. And there was one director who had to leave, and we'll just have him live on uh, on the. And I challenged him, I, I because you didn't get a chance to see Wild Honey. No, I did not Okay, there's a there's a joke, which is my my only disappointment with Wild Honey. I'm going to talk about it now because the challenge is going to be there in the next episode, and I already warned it. Uh, there's a character in there who references having been in high school in a band called Puke Bone, which is not the joke. The challenge is that he says that all the songs, the original compositions of Puke Bone, were references and responses to Philip K. Dick's works. Oh. And then we never hear anything from Puke Bone. So I'm laying it out here. I've already told the director, Francis Stokes, I said... I'm going to... You have to name five songs
3: that Puke Bone performed. Five stories. (laughs) No. I want five five songs. Five songs. He doesn't have to sing them. I want to hear five songs. I thought you were going for the references to... Oh, I want the the references too. But I want
0: to know what the song titles are.
3: Okay. (laughs)
0: So, anyway. Great week. And I have no doubt our next episode is going to be fun as heck as well with the conversations we have. Uh, well, I know already. We have at the can a late-night conversation with the director, writer, and star—two different people. Writer, uh, no, I'm sorry. Story director. He was not the screenwriter, uh, and uh, and the star of Seeds, a disturbing psychosexual fairy tale. Uh, that was Owen Long and Trevor Long. Trevor being one of the stars. Aren't they all though? No, not all of them. Okay. Uh, Wild Honey was not. Uh, so, no, I meant fairy tale. Oh. Well, there is something to that. Was yes. it? You know that Neil? There was an Irish one uh, in the company of wolves. Have you ever seen? Yes, that? I have. Yes, with Angela <laughs> Lansbury. Yes, that was psychosexual. That was an interesting one. Yes, way back when Neil
3: Marshall. I, I just wrong. always go back to Goblin Market, Rosettes. Sure. And sure. Stuff.
0: So anyway, the point is that Owen Long and Trevor Long. You may know Trevor from the Netflix series Ozark. Yeah. Netflix has got it, getting a lot of plugs from us this week. Anyway, you may know him from that. Anyway, we talked to them uh, Tuesday, late Tuesday night, and I know we still have more in the game. So anyway, let's get to it. Thank you so much for listening so far. Once again, if you have any questions, comments, compliments, commentary, criticism, write in to editor at And of course, uh, all the episodes from CineQuest are brought to you by Tito's Handmade Vodka. That, too, is for Sal Pizarro, or perhaps the apple pie at Johnny Rockets. They could be a sponsor, too. So uh, that's, that's it for this, this episode. Thank you.
3: This is Derek McCaw, editor-in-chief of FanboyPlanet.com. And this is Rick Brettsnider reminding you to use your, your powers, powers for, for good. good.